You're listening to Arrowhead Radio. He doesn't love us because we're good. He loves us because he's good. You can't steer a boat that's not moving. We, need, we as Christians, we need to start opening our mouths. And it says that he who believes on the Son has life, and he that does not believe um, does not have life, and the wrath of God abides on him. Uh, to me, one of the greatest things God did to me was give me peace, give me a hope, give me a promise. And I thought, I have eternal life. I'm, I'm about for heaven, and it's, it's forever. I'm Mark Dana. And I'm Venus Cote. And this is Hope to the Nations. It's good to see you, Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talking on the phone and everything, kind of. I don't know, it's really, really uh, great, some of the, the memories that we have together, I guess. Not right. just myself, but Venus, and we were talking about Martin, mm-hmm. uh, Martin Bear, and Richard. Anyway, we're just really glad to have you here to right. yeah. talk with you today. Mm-hmm. You're a pastor, right? Up at the, is yeah. the Wiscaganish Gospel. Yeah, it's called Wiscaganish Cree Gospel Fellowship. I know you have a lot of uh, different ministries going on there, mm-hmm. um, which is, I don't know, just seems to me very. Uh, very encouraging to, to hear mm-hmm. what's going on up there. You were telling me, I think, that you're not really from Wiscaganish per se, but you were from another community? Yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Moose Factory, Ontario, like born and raised in Moose Factory, Ontario. But yep. my family came from Quebec here, like uh, before they moved to Moose Factory. Like my mom and grandparents, uh, they were from... Uh, a community here in Quebec, just just next door to us here to Wasquegnes. It's called East Main, so that's where right. they were, where my family was originally from. But my wife is from here, from Wasquegnes. So we we eventually moved here in the mid eighties, yep. around five. We moved here, and we've been here ever since. Basically, we've only moved away for education purposes, you know. And your wife, uh, Hannah. Her yeah. family has a restaurant there, right? Yeah, they've been running. Uh, kind of the center of the town there. Yeah, they've been kind of running it since 89, I think. So it's still going, you know. And uh, so it was her, it was, in the beginning, it was her and her sisters, you know, and a couple of other guys. But now it's just down to maybe, maybe just a couple of sisters now, but they don't work there anymore. It's just somebody else yeah. that runs the restaurant now, but they still own it. Right. Been there for a while. I guess people like to go there for the putsin, the putsin, you know. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. And uh, Paul, if you don't hear Venus say anything, it's because she just had her second vaccination and she's just kind of staring at the screen there. <laughs> Mark, you're the one doing all the talking here. <laughs> Paul, mm-hmm. tell us, tell us about uh, how did you come to the Lord? Initially, no, I, we were. I wasn't initially like. Uh, I guess the first number of years, I don't think there was a Christian home. Like our, like I said, our family in Moose Factory, they came from Quebec. And uh, I know those early years, my family, my stepdad, my mom, and others, uncles, aunts. I know um, they, they, like I remember there was parties in our home. I remember that as a child. 
but then I remember too, though, the, how, how the gospel started to come to Moose Factory. It was coming there. Actually, mm-hmm. um, a missionary that came there, his name was Doug Taylor. I think he was uh, initially either from New Brunswick, I think, or, you know, like Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia, yeah. yeah. We, yeah. we were talking to Roy Chichu and he was yeah. talking about Doug yeah. as well. Kind of a common link there. Yeah, yeah. Doug, Doug uh, came up and because uh, I, I remember uh, like with Doug Taylor, like uh, of course I remember him as a child growing up and he had a program for kids called, I think it was called Happy Hour. Not Happy Hour, Happy Time it was called. Yeah. Happy Time and I think it was kids after school type of thing, you know. Yeah. But uh, for him with the family camps and so forth and but I remember like when we I mentioned earlier I don't know if it's like eight to ten years ago and we, we, we did the uh, sort of like the outreach evangelism trip there mission trip that we did through New Brunswick and Nova Scotia mm-hmm. we did the uh, we when we did the orientation type of thing with with Carol Hill and uh, Ed Seeley it, it was at a, it was at a church I forget the place, but there in New Brunswick, it was at a church where Doug Taylor had pastored, and that was the actual church that he had resigned from to head to eventually end up in Moosaka. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think he joined the Northern Canada Evangelical Mission, I guess, back then, but he was going for some linguistic training. That church that we had gone for orientation was the church that he had left so that he could go into the ministry among native people and his first post, I guess, or his, maybe his only post might've been Moose Factory. So that was kind of special for us because now we were kind of the fruits of his ministry, you know, like yeah. we, our parents were probably that generation that got saved first with, with him, you know, through the ministry he had there. And then of course, the after that, which would be us, you know, so, and, and now here we were coming, there and and so that was kind of us we did get a chance to visit him he was in nova scotia i think at the time but i think he has since passed away but i really get a chance to visit yeah Yeah. so that's that's anyways growing up like that that i began to see that change happening in in our home and i began to see uh, you know my mom and others my aunts and them coming to know christ as their lord and savior i attending church and seeing that there's no more drinking in the house and kind of that change. And then, um, and then I remember I was probably about, I'm not sure, 11 or 12. There was some services happening in our church. And I think uh, uh, the one that came to do the services that time, I think it might've been Bud Elford from NCM and he was doing some services. And I remember that one of those nights, I remember, at home and after the service and uh, we were in a like back then too like you know you had a few families in one home so you kind of had the crowded conditions and and the uh, situations and then i was sleeping in a cot in the living room and i was sort of under conviction and i remember going into the bedroom my aunt and my mom were still up and i they hadn't slept yet and i remember asking them what i was going through at the time and i was crying and so they led me to Christ. They led me to to pray and to come to know Christ. And so that was, I was probably 11, 11 12 years old at that time. And uh, what really, what characteristic of Jesus really was attractive to you? That's a good question. Like, uh, I mean, from what I saw and from what I 
scene around me and the things that that I desired was for sure like you saw the change in people, you know, from the one lifestyle to another. But but also I guess you, you would see uh probably love too, you know. Love and and, and of uh acceptance, you know. Uh, because I struggle with those things in my life, you know. And uh, so I think I saw that happening around me and I begin to and uh, be attracted to that too, I guess, you know, and uh, love that was in personified in Christ and his followers. Yeah. Yeah. Through that. Yeah. Love and acceptance and that type. And I think that I would maybe say those, you know, like that kind of characteristic. Now that you're a believer. So what happened next in your life? I think what what happened is uh, I kind of struggled a lot eh? because of what was happening. Like I was, my mom gave me up when I was one years old and uh, I was raised by my grandparents and I never knew my dad or met, or, or met my dad. So I kind of struggled with some of those, those questions or, or that happening to me, you know, maybe, maybe kind of feeling a sense of rejection or, or abandonment, you know, mm. Struggling with fatherlessness, you know, and uh, yeah, and wondering why why mom gave me up, you know, was it because uh, the the person he was marrying, the man he was marrying, was not my biological dad? Maybe he didn't want me because I was not his biological son, type of thing, you know. And uh, yeah, so I kind of had questions like that, and uh, but uh, but uh, but over the years, though, I began to a- ask those questions, you know, and uh, and. Uh, I remember, I think, talking to my mom, or I remember getting that question answered. My mom said, well, we really wanted to raise you, you know, her and her husband, I guess, my stepdad, you know. But yeah. your grandma really, really wanted you, I guess, or really insisted, I guess, that they would take me and rape me. Because I know that's what happened, too, like, for with a lot of, I know with not a lot of the Native mothers, a lot of them, if they were going on to marriages, sometimes the grandparents would take over the child if you were born out of wedlock, you know. And so she said that, you know, she said, we wanted to raise you. We really, we wanted to, but your parents really wanted you. My, her parents, I guess, my grandparents yeah. really. So she gave in to them. I, but the part is, even though I got that question answered, deep inside, yeah. still not totally satisfied. Like I was, I said, like, I kind of felt like, Mom, you could have said no, you know, like really said no and, and just kept me, you know, and raised me because I'm, I'm your child. And because sometimes I felt like, like I have four sons myself and we have eight grandchildren. I could never think of giving up my son, you know, to someone else. So I kind of felt like, Mom, you could have said no or insisted to you too, you know, fight for me, you know, yeah. like yeah. Keep, keep me, you know. And, uh, and yeah. so even... But the question answered, I, I, I still felt like inside of me, mommy could have said no, because I wanted you to raise me. You're my mom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My, like my grandparents, like they were on in age now too. My grandpa wasn't hunting anymore, like no more of the bush life for him. And he couldn't really okay. teach, couldn't really teach me sort of like the traditional custom ways, you know, of, of yeah. hunting, fishing or trapping, different things. And the main reason, too, why they moved from Quebec, like from East Main, Quebec, to Moose Factory was so that he could be near. Because he really struggled with mental health issues, you know. And so, so, so that was this kind of struggle, my grandpa. 
and uh, mm -hmm. and and I know he had his own battles, my grandpa. Yeah. Right. So so how he was raised too, I guess, and stuff like that. So. So Paul, you you really felt that there was still something missing um, concerning your feeling about acceptance. Did you ever find that acceptance in the Lord, in in yeah. Christ? Yes, I did. You know, like I. I mean, I I think because of uh, the Father issue in my life, uh, like with with God the Father, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know. Yeah. I, I found that acceptance in my relationship with the Lord, like like some verses like that were helpful to me was like God was the father of the fatherless, you know? Yes. And though mother, and I think there's a verse in Psalms too that says, though mother and father forsake me, God will receive me. Yes. And exactly. uh, even like, uh, you know, even before the foundation of the world, like he chose you, you know? And... Uh, mm -hmm. I remember uh, one time reading a book by Rick Warren and he said that it was kind of an encouragement for me too. Like he said, before you were conceived in the mind of your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. So God already kind of knew about me, you know, knew my situation, you know. And, and, and the other thing too is I think I began to connect with different men that were Christian men through the church you know, or, or through my cousins that, uh, that had come to Christ, you know. A lot of these men I really looked up to, like like our church, you know, you, you had men, like I remember a man like uh, the, the Jollies, you know, they were coming to know Christ, Howard, Abraham, uh, Joe, you know, and uh, Alan, you know, and different men, the Chichus as well, you know, like you had the different Chichus coming to know Christ, uh, and the younger ones, you know, as well, like some that you may know of, maybe Bob Chichu, late Ronald Chichu, Mervyn. Yeah. And others like that, but there was also other cousins from there, and I, I remember them too. You know, I think Steve Chichu, he's here now in Wisconsin. Yeah. But mm -hmm. he came to know Christ like the same time I did, like the same gospel meetings. You know, that that same year, okay. that same time, yeah. that, that same winter. So, and then of course, people like my late uncle James Moses. He he was a real role model for. Me. He was a real uh, special person to me. He was a pastor. He, he was one of the first young believers to come to know Christ in Moose Factory. Went off to Bible school and came back to pastor in Moose Factory. And so he was a real role model for me. So, and he was my uncle and uh, he helped me out when I was down and out, you know, and I, he was always a sense of, I could always go to him, you know, he accepted me for who I was. I always felt yeah. loved, accepted by my uncle. Mm. And uh, there was others too. There's a pastor there now. His name is John Beck. Maybe some of you have heard of him. Yeah. He, yep. he was kind of that person for me earlier on. Too. He was there for me. He was there to kind of mentor me or just be there for me. And, and of course, some of the missionaries over the years as well, you know, you got to know them. Of course, yeah. there was Taylor. And of course, in Oskaganish, you got to know Philip Knight, you know, and you got to know... Yeah. Ted Leeshide, and you got to know uh, Dallas Roberts, you know, and so a lot of people, I think, have had a different parts in my life. I, I, I kind of met them, and so either I was somehow under their teaching or ministry, or, or at least got to know them, you know, or through my wife, I got to know them, some things like that. So those things were all contributing, I think, to to being growing in Christ, learning about God, or, or, or a sense of having some male role models in my life, Christian men, you know, 
the interesting part about uh, the men that you've mentioned. Yeah. Uh, if you look at it, you've got some wonderful Christian heritage uh, yeah. in your life. And most yeah. of these men that you spoke of pretty much went to Bible school. Yeah. Well, most of them anyhow. And, uh, and then they took some form of ministry, whether it was yeah. music or the pulpit. And I yeah. was blessed to have had uh, James Moses teach me in Bible school. Oh, yeah. And to me, that was a blessing. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, just as you say, too, you know, these, these people have contributed to our, you know, to our Christian heritage, you know, and, and you know, and, and I think that's what really attracted me, I think, to the gospel. But not only just the gospel, I think, to serving God, just like you said. It's exactly, yeah. you, you, it's exactly like what you're saying. There's some of them went on to music. I know uh, Bible school, uh, pulpit ministry, lay ministry, full-time pastors, some of them, you know. So that's yeah. what, growing up, I saw that, you know, like you saw Howard, you know. They had the uh, Sunrise Indian Gospel Band, you know, like Abraham, yeah. Kenny Jackson. Mm -hmm. So growing up, I saw this. I see these guys sharing their testimonies. I see these guys playing music, you know, getting involved in the church, going off to Bible school. I think my aunt uh, uh, Martha went off to Bible school. Even my mom and them went to a Bible school in the States called Mokum Indian Bible School. I think it was yeah. in Cass Lake, Minnesota. So a lot of the of people going off to Bible school, native KBI, or my aunt Martha, I think, went to KBI, Bob, Chichu went to think my cousin. So you kind of had this exposure of people, ministry, you know, or, or even if yeah. they weren't helping out in the church, you know, they were doing something in the church, Sunday school, emceeing, speaking, you name it, they were involved, you know. So that kind of really rubbed off on me i think and i really wanted that or really desired that even for myself you know yeah i yeah. think that's really key there you know because i was talking to roy and he was telling his story roy chichu yeah yeah and he talked about how doug taylor had put james and he to service right away after they had they had turned their lives over to christ they yeah. they started to pray they started to feed you know put wood yeah. in the fire and just do something right yeah so it seems like that kind of multiplied with with your generation yeah you know that was the key thing too you know like you know like when i think of my background you know like of uh, you know my mom gave me up and that fatherlessness issue and with these men that's what they did to me in the church too like they would get me to make fires in the wood stove on sunday mornings before sunday school or the church started or put some yeah. oil, oil stove and make, you know, and they, you know, they, they got me involved in cleaning the church, you know, so slowly and gradually I started ask, being asked to do different things in the church, be it firewood or, you know, making fire in the wood stove. And, and then slowly and gradually, you know, like they used to have this tape night, I think it was on Thursdays for the radio program, they would record it, you know, and you'd go there. I remember getting involved with that with my aunt and my granny. We'd go there and help out maybe with some of the Cree singing, you know, and that was be taped or you could share your testimony. And I think that's probably one of the first things I did too was sharing my testimony in the church and doing these different works, different things in the church, either cleaning, wood stove or whatever. And then finally, eventually being asked to teach Sunday school in our church in Moose Factory, eventually asked 
MC uh, service, you know, eventually. And I remember one spring, it would have been about 83, maybe 1983, Mervyn Chichi was a pastor at that time and he was going off spring goose, like right about now, like goose hunting, you know, mm -hmm. uh, spring hunting. And he asked me, Paul, can you speak, you know, this Sunday? And so that was kind of first message, you know, back and that would have been probably around 82, 83. And, uh, him asking me to do that. It was kind of, he didn't have to just prepare anything. It was an Easter weekend, so he knew you had to prepare something related to Easter. Resurrection or... Yeah. So that was kind the of... The cross or... Yeah. yeah. And I remember writing out my message and still have it today. You know, I've kept it. And so that was kind of a, like a special moment. So, so, so it was like that too. Like, like these men too as well. Even though I struggle in different areas of my life, uh, somehow they still... I don't know, they say had hope for me, believed in me and and still, you know, got me to do stuff in the church, you know, slowly, gradually got me involved in the church. And I think uh, I remember with John Beck as well, like when uh, we moved, he moved from what's, when we were building the church, you know, like when they started, even before they built the church, like all the planning, I was involved here in West Agnes. I think Philip Knight was here at the time. John Beck help out with our church from his factory and he's kind of pastoring our church as well and uh, he got me involved too like teaching an adult Sunday school class you know and helping out more and so that's that's how it really started for me right then and there after the building went up and then finally John Beck left in 1990 and so there was so even before John left we kind of wrote letters we have sent out some letters, prayer requests, and so forth, asking if somebody would be interested in coming to Wiskagnish. But nobody mm -hmm. answered that call. So, And then me and my wife, I guess, we kind of uh, talked about it and said, like, why not? You know, let's, 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 let's try, you know, let's, let's, let's see about running the church. So, like, I didn't really consider myself the pastor or anything, more like over, you know, running the church and uh, mm -hmm. still hoping or praying that somebody else would come and kind of lead the church, but that never happened. That never yeah. happened. I guess, I guess sometimes I thought maybe the Lord knew now too, that the answer wasn't from without anymore, but the answer was from within. Like I was kind of, even though I wasn't from the community, but I was from within the church, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. I kind of oversaw the church for about three years, 90 to 93. And then I ended up in a Bible college after that. And, came back in 97, 93 to 97, and that's when I got inducted as pastor. So a lot of that was slow and gradual, you know, a lot of it was, it wasn't like the uh, the Moses burning bush experience or the Damascus road experience. Like, yeah. Mine was like, you know, I, I got slowly and gradually involved in the church and eventually led to serving full time, you know. Did you go to Bible school? Yeah, I did. I, I went to Briarcrest Bible College from 1993 to 1997, four years, and I did a pastoral program there. Okay. But that was a challenge too, you know, like because like up to that up to that point, I think I was looking at trying to, about probably the in those years of the 90s, early 90s or late 80s, I, I was looking to go to Bible school now, you know, because of course I knew people were heading off to KBI and other places, you know. I know some had gone to Briarcrest already. I think my Uncle James would go to Briarcrest and I think maybe Alan or Joe, some of them 
had attended Briarcrest as well. I think Doug Chich, my cousin, had gone there as well. So I was starting to get some exposure to some of the Bibles, hearing of them or no. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted that too. And uh, But I remember trying to go to this one Bible school. It was called Deb Whelan Bible Institute. It was run under Northern Youth Programs, you know, like yeah. uh, Blair Schnupp yeah. and them. Mm-hmm. And so... I applied, I think the first time I applied, it just didn't work out, you know. I was still, we were still living in Moose Factory then, and uh, it, uh, we couldn't get the finances to go, you know. It just didn't work out, and the church said to the church elders, said, maybe give yourself more time to grow in the Lord. And then we applied again another time, and it didn't, it didn't work out, you know, again. The school closed down because of low, low um, student clientele, so they had to yeah. close and then I remember applying again to Briarcrest at another time, but I didn't follow through with the finances, et cetera, and all that. So it was probably about a, a few occasions that I tried to get out to school that didn't, didn't work out, you know. But finally in 93, everything kind of fell into place, you know, and uh, yeah. we, we, uh, we were still overseeing the church. But I asked the Lord, you know, like I said, Lord, if it works out, then we can go, can we get... You know, get the get accepted by the school, get the financial assistance to go, but also somebody to run the church while we were gone at Bible school. You know, somebody to take over. So the Lord answered all those uh, situations there. You know, and uh, wouldn't have been easy though, right? Going all no. the way to Saskatchewan. Yeah, we had four. You know, we just had a baby that summer. And we had four boys. Boys, <laughs> it, it, it was quite the thing, and of course, because I struggled a lot in failure too, you know, like with all my different struggles. And because you're afraid to head out to school too, and wondering, oh no, can I do this? You know, can I am I able to yeah. am, I, am I able to pass? Am I able to, you know, a lot of those challenges, you know. And uh, but I remember how the person at the, at the admissions in the school said, you know, Paul. Uh, People come here with the, we, the older students or mature students or even the student families. He said, they, they do well, he said, Paul, because mm-hmm. they're more focused, more narrow now yes. in what they want to do, you know, like uh, they come here with a fiery passion to, to succeed, he said, because they're maybe, and he was right, and he was right. I really, I really pressed into my studies and I really learned from other students or from the teachers, you know. And uh, a lot of feedback or questions that I needed, I needed uh, any help that I needed. So I was able to be able to finish those four years there, you know. Tell us about your wife. Oh, my wife. Yeah, she she sings. Yeah, she and sings. I and I often listen to her on Facebook, and yeah. what an encouragement. Yeah, I mean that's how it's like my wife. Like I met her. In the early 80s as well, like she was from Muskegness, but she had family in Moot Factory. Mm-hmm. And she was a friend of my, my aunt, my late aunt. So the, And that's how we kind of connected, you know, and that's how we kind of uh, got to know each, each other. I, I remember in those early years, I remember probably around 15, 16, when we were getting to know, just connecting with each other. And uh, I think we exchanged pictures at the time. But then, <laughs> Then uh, I was young, and and then I ended up just backsliding, or, or I guess not living for the Lord for a number of years, you know. 
four years maybe something like that so there was really no communication between the two of us after that we still had the pictures of each other you know and uh, i remember that one spring she did come here to visit and she brought a letter with her from her mother i guess her mother was was i guess she was she was gonna confront me i guess <laughs> about my, <laughs> my life yes and uh Alice is her name, and a lot of people know Alice. And uh, and uh, she wrote that letter, but she didn't have, she couldn't give it to me when she was here. I guess she was too shy. She ended up flying back to Wisconsin and mailing the letter. But that letter really, <laughs> that letter really spoke to me. You know, Alice was my my I guess wasn't my mother-in-law, but it would, would be my mother-in-law eventually. But she was really telling me like about getting my life together with the Lord. You know, makes yeah. things right. There's a possibility here that her daughter would be, a, you know, like the, she knew the pictures. You saw the picture, you know, but she kind of, and so that kind of, I kind of really spoke to me. And I said, like, if I return to God and walk again with God and that there would still be this lady that has been faithful to the Lord walking mm. or that, that she, that, 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 that friendship could continue, that could possibly lead to maybe a man, you know, that's what happened. I remember making a commitment to Christ at that time in 82, I think, coming back to Christ. And so we kind of picked up friendship. And then, of course, friendship led to a point where we ended up getting married and uh, in Moose Factory and then moving back here, you know. And so she was very instrumental in a lot of my, my life, too, encouraging me. And a lot of times I saw grace, God's grace in and through her. And so, because she kind of grew up with the missionary girls of Ted Leeshide, you know? Yeah. Think, okay. Anna, Anna Leeshide, you know, and Elizabeth and them, you know? and Yeah. And some of the Roberts, I think, like uh, uh, Ted, um, uh, Dallas, you know? Sherry, mm-hmm. Robert and them. So she kind of, uh, she grew up with them. And so she got to know Christ at an early age or two, you know? And uh, so a lot of times... Uh, I kind of felt like I didn't deserve her, you know, like because of me and how I was, even my own lifestyle, the way it was. And but a lot of times I saw God uh, working in and through her to, you know, work on my life too. The things I guess that I needed to take care of, yeah. some issues, pain or hurt in my own life, you know. And so she's been a, a support for me. But she's also, you know, been able to pursue her own education. She always desired to be a teacher, you know. She always loved teaching. I think for many years she was a school teacher in our church, and and then um, she was a teacher here at the school. She taught Cree language. She followed the footsteps of her dad. Her dad was a Cree language teacher, so she knew the syllabics. She knew how to read and write Cree, and she did that. Eventually, she started teaching MRI, moral and religious instruction, in the school, and eventually she started having her own class. Her, you know, and she she got her degree, teaching degree, and so forth. Eventually, she got to the point where she was part of leadership in the school, and she was a vice principal, and now she's a principal of the elementary school here. Wonderful. She's pursued her education, and uh, she's pursued her career in that area, and but always supportive of my ministry, you know, and working together in in different capacities. Uh, I would feel bad if we didn't talk to like the listeners about your um, struggle with diabetes. Okay. Or I thought yeah. it was pretty inspirational. Right. Well, you know, like um, 
there was a lot of diabetes in my family, and of course, a lot of people are aware of the diabetes among Native people in Canada. You know, and uh, yeah. I think my grandmother was diabetic, my mom was diabetic, and my siblings or my aunts were diabetics. You know, so I know the diabetes ran ran in the family, and uh, I know for me too. Like I, I was. As a young person, I did a lot of sports, you know, like hockey, et cetera, basketball. As soon as I went off to high school, I think I started being not, not as not active as I used to be. And some of my jobs, my lifestyle were not very active, you know, like, and, uh, and so I think I, I gained a lot of weight over the years, you know, and, uh, and I think I, I ate for wrong reasons too, probably for comfort to recover some of the pain. And I remember at one point in the late 80s of being over 300 pounds, you know, for a guy that's 5'8 and 5'9, that's not, that's not very good, you know. I was a very heavy person, obese. And I struggled with that too, you know, self-esteem, self-image and stuff like that. Yeah. But I think as I started growing and learning, even through my heat, my, my, I mean my pain, healing, growing in my walk with God and so forth, and I started to have more victory in the physical part of my life, you know. And uh, and uh, and yeah. yeah, and so basically, I from encouragement from some close men with me, like Dave Chichu, Steve Chichu, you know, and nudging of my doctor, so forth. You know, I just began walking, you know, slowly, and I just began doing some activity, more act- being more active, you know. But sometimes when you look at like like um, losing weight or taking care of your diabetes as a physical, but I think for me. It was a combination, you know, taking care of your spiritual, taking care of your emotional, mental health as well, you know, psychological. As, as you grew, as you took care of your pain, you know, as you took care of your hurt or your pain, your issues, as you continue to walk and grow with the Lord, you know, somebody, you start to have more victory probably in the physical part of your life too. Mm-hmm. And so I started walking, I started you know, it's, these guys were with me. They, I remember Dave Chichu bought me a fitness pass at the center here, and and we would we do stuff together. You know, walk, uh, run together, bike together, skate together. So a lot, lot, lot of that encouragement from them and the challenge from them really helped me. So as my weight came down, my diabetes started to improve. I think it was third year Bible college '96 where I was diagnosed with diabetes. So that would be about 25 years ago that I diabetes. With my weight loss and my exercise, I think it's been maybe 12 to 15 years where my diabetes has been very stable, very normal. So, so, so that, you know, so that kind of really helped, you know, uh, a combination of things that you would do, combination of taking care of yourself and it's always a challenge, of course. It's a daily challenge. It's it's, it's a fight, you know. And I always had a sweet. Tooth. I still have the sweet tooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, it's maple syrup time down here uh, in New Brunswick. But my attitude, was, yeah. But my attitude has been like, even if I'm struggling with my eating habits, I'll never stop exercising. I'll still yeah run and run, you know, or be active. I think that's one part. You know, has kept really moving, you know, and uh, and of course from that too, you know, has has given me opportunities to speak to people. I've been asked to speak at different events or functions because people knew 
weight loss, they knew of my exercise, they knew of my diabetes. So sometimes when I've been asked to speak at a conference or or different situations where people So are, are you on insulin or anything? I never had to go on insulin. I never had gotten to that point. I do take medication. I think it's either called glucophage or metformin, you know? Yes. But I take that, but the doctor wants to take that away from me too, you know, where I wouldn't have to take anything. But right now... Wonderful. I'm still, yeah, right now I'm still on it, you know? So basically that, that was it, you know, and I never had to go insulin. It never, my diabetes, I don't think, ever got to that point where I had to take insulin, you know? Yeah. I'm glad well, I I'm on metformin right now, and I think I need, not I think, I know yeah. what I need to do. Right, right, yeah. And yeah, I've started a little bit, and I've given yeah. up a lot of uh, things that I used to eat I don't eat anymore. Right, right. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I, I remember those first few years of trying to change, you know, because you were try- you're trying to change the lifeline. Like I was probably in my 40s. It's a hard job. You're trying to change your lifestyle from 40, for 40 years, how you've lived, yeah. how you've yeah. eaten, how you've, how you've lived your life, your lifestyle, your, your activity level. So now you're, you're getting to, I remember those first few years were a battle, were a struggle. Sometimes you quit, you know, and for a few months, start up again. Yeah. But, event, but eventually, finally, you kind of got into the habit or kind of a routine, you know, and, uh, where it would kind of just kind of kick in normally, you know, like where yeah. I, I and so, and so in, in that way, uh, I think it, 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 those first, if you can crash, I remember one of my teachers in Bible college, he called it crash through the quitting points, you know, crashing through the quitting points. Eventually, I think when I passed through some of those initial difficulties, when you wanted to quit or give up, as I continued to persevere through those, Eventually, on the other side of that was, it became more of a, a habit, you know, more of a routine, and then yeah. you you realize too the benefits that it was giving you. You realize results yeah. that were happening in your life as well. So, I thought of those two things. I think really spoke to me too. One was I lost an uncle that died of a heart attack, and he left behind his wife, my aunt, and five kids. Forty-two, you know. I think I was around forty-two, and I wow. said. I can be like my uncle. I'm inactive yeah. and diabetic. And then I had an aunt that died of diabetes complications. She was around 58. And I said, I could be like my aunt. Ooh, you know, I have diabetes. I'm overweight. So some of those things spoke to me, you know, of what was happening with my family. And so and I said, you know, I have a wife, four kids, and I need to take better care of myself, you know. So that's kind of part of that journey, you know. Thank yeah. You for sharing that. Yeah. Um, you know, like even even though I've struggled, I'm 60 now. You know, and uh, despite my, oh, we're the same age. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a little and older. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> despite some of my upbringing, you know, and through the struggles that I've had, you know, with abandonment or fatherlessness issues and struggling, you know, a lot of times where I walked away from God and. And just a lot of battles and struggles in my life. That uh, and uh, but persevering, you know, pressing on, like admitting, you know, being trans, being open, being vulnerable, being honest, opening up about my hurt and my pain, finding good men, finding people to share with, talk with about my struggles, you know, 
and, and finding acceptance and that love through my relationship with Jesus Christ and through other Christian men or other families as well, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, you know, dealing with your pain. How, you know, a, a lot of it, I think, came through those early Rising Above conferences, you know, that they used yes. to have. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, getting help, counseling, getting going to workshops, going to conferences. I remember being that kind of an attitude, you know, I'm going to read, I'm going to go, I'm going to be like this sponge that's going to absorb, you know, whatever that will help me. I felt that there's enough, you know, Christ says it is finished on the cross, it is done, you know, it's a done deal. Christ said, so there's enough resources within the Christian body, within the church, within my relationship that I can make it, you know, that I can do this, that I don't have to feel discouraged, defeated, you know, and that, that yes. like, there's enough resources there to find help when you need it. Mm-hmm. What, what every area of your life that you're struggling with, you know? And so I think that in that way, I think uh, I, I pressed on that way, you know, didn't quit or give up. And, uh, yeah. and after that, you became more of a giver after helping others in those situations, you know? Mm. I work at part-time at a counseling center here now. Uh, I work. I help with workshops. Dave and Greta Chichu started a counseling center here, so I help them part time. I have male clients or youth, or I help them with conferences, workshops, or programs. Yeah. So I, I do different things like that. Like uh, tomorrow evening, I'm going to be doing a workshop on suicide prevention. Next week, I'll be doing one on overcoming fatherlessness. So a lot of the things that I would talk about too are related to my own journey, my own life. You know? Yeah. That type of thing. So, I just the youth conference. Same thing about fatherlessness because I know a lot of youth struggle with that too. Yeah, kids in the that so you kind of want to speak into the areas too. I guess where you feel that the Lord has helped you through. I'm yeah. curious when yeah. you preach, is it done in your native tongue or is it done in English? I do both actually. I speak in. My mother tongue was Cree in Mosafi because I was, yeah. so it was, it was mother tongue Cree. It was coastal Cree from here back. It wasn't the most Cree in Moose factory. So I mm-hmm. kind of retained my Cree and uh, I, I kind of got more immersed into it as I came to Washkagnish from Moose factory. Yeah. So I, right. I, I do a lot of Cree. I do a lot of English. So I kind of mix it a lot, you know, but I, uh, but I'm able to do a lot of Cree as well. I do Wonderful. both. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's great. We sure thank you. I mean, that's what you laid out for us there with the church up at Wiskaganish. And just the way that what really touched me is the, the encouragement of uh, Christians one to another. Right, and yeah. Just spurning one another on to follow Christ, right? And yes, yeah. For, for me, that your group has been a real inspiration to me yeah. personally. To, just to meet you the impact and the influence that you can have on another believer you know even a younger believer you you know because like me it was like that a lot of influence impact through others yeah i think the encouragement for me is and was is that when your church started out in moose factory that uh, people come to know the lord but they also discipled one another yeah. and yes. then they also uh sought to want to serve the Lord and uh, went off to learn about the Bible and came yeah. back as a servant and and teaching 
more yeah. and that's how you came about was the discipleship of other men caring yeah. for you and wanting to see you grow in your faith yes that's true yeah that's that's it you know that was key in most factory discipleship and so i think that was done through through classes or through testimony or through example yeah for sure yeah for all three yeah. all right thank you, thank you so send much. our love to your wife yes oh, well mm -hmm. all right definitely your whole family and yes all right and the church definitely the church all right okay take care okay bye you too this has been a broadcast of arrowhead radio a ministry of arrowhead native bible center for good christian resources visit our bookstore at wabanakibooks.com Look for a new episode next week, wherever you find your favorite podcasts.